Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Female Founders Network, a podcast brought to you by Invoice to Go. I'm your host, Nat, and I'm joined by my co host, Sylvie. Hey, everyone. We record our show in the Forbes Street studio in downtown Sydney, Australia, but we bring guests from all over the world. So you'll hear people from the US, the United Kingdom, Europe, the Asia Pacific, anywhere that we find women who lead and inspire others. This is a great podcast for women who are navigating business ownership, leadership, or just life. Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business. Today, we're speaking with Andrea Holland. Andrea is a tech-savvy PR consultant, as well as the owner of RemotePRJobs.com, a platform helping PR professionals find flexible remote work around the globe. In this episode, we'll discuss how Andrea turned corporate burnout into a chance to change her life. She started a consultancy, and she developed her own online business helping other digital nomads find work. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Andrea. How are you today? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. Well, thank you for asking. And where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from sunny Santa Barbara, California. Oh, I love it. Mm. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. The dream destination. Yeah. <laughs> so we know a know. little, each other a little bit. We've, we've met before, but why don't you tell our listeners, you know, your whole story, who you are, where you're from, <laughs> how you became the woman you are today. Tell us all of it. Oh my goodness. Um, Okay, well, you can tell me how far we want to go back here. Um, Your first memory. No, whatever you want. The very first memory. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I'm one of those weird people that my first memory is not till I'm, like, an early teenager. So, (laughs) but um, I know that's another podcast. But, no, I'm from the – I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. So, Mm -hmm. I'm California, born and bred. I am middle-class family, oldest of three. My – father was a firefighter. Mom's a dental hygienist. Um, one thing that's kind of sticks out for us is my mom's Greek. And so I actually came from a bit of a big fat Greek wedding. So Aww. for those of you that have seen, <laughs> yeah, those of you that have seen the movie, my dad kind of was the, the white guy that married in. And so that's always been a lot of fun. And we have a lot of, a lot of family up there. And yeah, yeah. It's, um, one of my favorite stories that I kind of remember growing up is, you know, obviously you're you're marrying into a, a family, not just a person. And one of the things that he did what, before the wedding was, you know, he told all the other firefighters at the firehouse, he's like, well, I'm marrying a Greek woman and it's going to be at the Greek church and there's going to be a big reception. And he taught all the other guys at the firehouse how to Greek dance. Aww. And I just thought that was the cutest thing. <laughs> he, he put post-it notes on the floor, apparently, is how the story goes. Oh, oh my um, God, that's adorable. So I know, good. I know. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I was, yeah, oldest of three, and I was the first one to actually go to college. I was a lot of the first in my family. I mean, in school, I was kind of an okay student. I was really the one that knew how to, like, work the system more than how to study. I think it's one of the reasons why I ended up in entrepreneurship. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I was always really involved with extracurricular activities, everything really from, you know, student body president to musical theater to sports and whatnot. Um. I was a classically trained singer. That was a really big part of my life for a a very long time, over a decade. Wow. Uh, Music music camp every summer, and I performed all over the world. I was part of one of the Bay Area's number one uh, children's touring ensembles. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, some of my, you know, fondest memories when I was a teenager were performances in Canterbury Cathedral and Notre Dame. Wow. That type of thing. So, and I learned to sing in over... I think 17 or 18 different languages. And so that was a huge part of my life. Oh my gosh. It's such a like parallel universe as well to like 
what you're doing now, do you ever miss it or feel like, do you ever do some singing now? You know, I, I do now. I do now. I, it's how I got into college. I was a music major for my first two years and wow. I studied vocal studies and then I stopped. I quit halfway through. You know, I had a conversation with my dad. He's like, what are you going to do with this? You know, at the time it was like, I was the first one to go to college too. So it was a big deal. It was a big deal for them. And so it was like, <laughs> well, you're studying music. What do you, what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, but I think it was, what are you going to do with this? And it was from a, a place, it was not from a bad place at all. I think it yeah. was just the concern of, you know, what are you going to do with this? And so I ended up switching majors um, and really not touching music at all for probably the next, my gosh, 12 years, mm. to be honest. So huh. in my 20s, I didn't touch it at all, really. I mean, yeah, the occasional karaoke night and whatnot, but um, it wasn't until my early 30s again that I really missed it. I didn't realize what a therapy it was for me. I didn't realize how much joy it actually brought me. And yeah. so I started singing again, but in a different capacity. I joined an acapella group. Um, and then I became part of a band and Aww. just started. Yeah. And What's so, your I mean, band called? I want to Spotify you. <laughs> oh, we're not on Spotify. <laughs> I always say it's it's for fun. We're called Down Mountain Lights, and we do a lot of just country and rock covers locally oh, here in town. How so good. breweries, wineries, yeah. Do you do weddings? Yeah. Oh, all right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we don't. It's it's for fun. Right? Yeah. And there's about six or seven of us, and it's just brought back so much joy in my life. And obviously yeah. during the pandemic, it's been a little tough, but I hope that we get to get together soon and, and start making music again. How mm. good. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, and so I, it was nice to get recently back into it. But yeah. So you switched majors and then, yeah, so yeah. then what, what was it that you switched to and, and what was that direction? Why, why did you sure, choose that direction? Uh, well, all I knew, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had no idea I would end up PR. I really was, you know, I, I, I think now in hindsight, it was, we want you to go to a, a four-year university because that's what you do. That's what equals success, right? That's yeah. the time and the thinking. That's what is going to make you successful in any capacity. And I have so much gratitude for that because they wanted that for me and they were willing to fund that for me and provide that for me. Um, but I really did not know what I wanted to do like a lot of college kids. So I switched to something much, much more reasonable. Um, mm. And I say that facetiously because I became a double major in religious studies and sociology. Huh. Again, with I, and I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. That was yeah. really it. I just thought it was very, very interesting. I mean, I grew up in a Greek Orthodox household and, and I, you know, had exposure to other religions and whatnot, but I just found the study of it in itself just fascinating, learning about other cultures and religions and the history around it. Um, and I think that tied kind of closely into sociology as well as like learning about the behavior of humans, you know? Mm. Mm. Um, but... Yeah, I graduated with a double major in religious studies and sociology with a minor in music. I did keep that. And yeah, then I immediately started working. I started working probably like a week after graduation. And where did you get your first job? What was that in? So it was in public relations and it was with essentially kind of one of the big global PR firms called mm -hmm. Fleischmann Hillard. You know how accounting kind of has the big four. Yeah. PR also yeah. has like it's big global firms you think of like Edelman, Hill and Knowlton, Fleischmann Hillard. Yeah. And I got the job not from LinkedIn, not from applying anywhere. I actually, like I said, I really did not know what I wanted to do. And so my first opportunity came about through a family friend. 
So knowing someone, of course, and I remember it was Christmas. It was Christmas the year before, gosh, six months before I was about to graduate. And so my sister went to Stanford and she was on the soccer team and her goalkeeper coach was from Ireland. So, and he came out and would spend a lot of holidays with our family because he lived in the States and he didn't really know a lot of people and didn't have family out here. So he kind of became part of our family. Yeah. Anyway, him and I are talking on Christmas and he's like, what do you, what do you think you're going to do? I said, Derry, I have no idea. <laughs> I was like, I think I want to work in PR. I was in a sorority. You're like, stop pressuring me. (laughs) I I know. I get it now when the college kids are so stressed. I get it. (laughs) I remember that feeling, I suppose. Um, But I remember saying that to him and I I said, well, you know, I'm in a, I was in a sorority in college and I had a great time with it. But I also, one of the benefits for me was I held a lot of leadership roles and I had a really, a lot of really good experiences with it from a leadership perspective. I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, if you do hold a leadership role within a Greek organization, it is really not that much different than running a small business. Right. You have, you know, 150 plus members. They are responsible for philanthropy. They have to pay dues. Mm-hmm. There is order that has to be instilled. There is a public perception. There is educational programming. And so I had a lot of experience with that. I was the PR vice president. And so flippantly, I just said, well, I, I think... I think maybe I want to go into PR. I think I'm pretty good at it. And he goes, oh, well, you should speak to my cousin. And then he named him and he worked at one of the big global firms in San Francisco. And I said, okay, sure. I remember cold calling this guy from my sorority house. Just being like, hi, my name's Andrea. This is who I am. I know your cousin. And <laughs> by the end of it, like, that's literally how it went. Hire me. And, yeah. I'm very like, friendly. I know it's, you know, people get jobs that come about in the funniest ways, but ultimately in my experience, it's, it's different relationships that you build. Right. And so we had a conversation for about an hour and by the end of it, and he's like, listen, okay, I can't guarantee you a job, but I can help you get in the door at Fleischmann Hillard. Mm. This is where I used to work for their intern class. And so I went through the interview process and everything like everyone else. Um, and yeah, it was one of seven interns that were chosen that first year in the technology practice. And so that's where I started. And I was there for about a year. Wow. And then before I moved on to another firm. So like technology as well. So were you doing PR specifically for like tech firms then? Exactly. So I mean Fleischmann Hillard is a huge global company and they have, you know, their clients span all different types of spaces. And so I was specific to the tech practice. So Mm -hmm. my goodness, I can't even remember what the clients were at that time um, that I was working on. I was an intern, so I was kind of touching everything. Yeah. But yeah. It was specific to the tech practice. And I think I was ahead of my time because I didn't really know anything about tech, but um, that's obviously the world that we live in now. Yeah. And also this was in between like 2006 and 2007. So I just want to, this is kind of jumping ahead here. And then I want want to get back into your career and how you started Dial's PR um, eventually. Mm -hmm. But how does PR, how, how is PR different now to what it was like back then because this was just as like Facebook was becoming popular and like there was more of a shift to online I would just love to know like what was happening then what's happening now and how PR has changed over the last like 14 years oh sure I mean the short answer is there was zero social media marketing Mm -hmm. or anything in that capacity right yeah there was no Facebook ads there was nothing and that's obviously more marketing but I think PR and marketing are they're in tandem right and Mm -hmm. so 
a lot of the strategies were just different. You know, from my experience, you were still looking at a lot more traditional PR back mm, then. Yeah. And I was a little after the time where people were faxing press releases, of course, and then they were emailing <laughs> things, but, but it still um, was, you know, getting in the media was the main vehicle for, you know, s- spreading awareness for your company. Mm. You know, now I think you look at p- the different PR strategies can range from social media to blogging to that kind of thing to content creation. That yeah. wasn't so much a thing back then. It was straight media relations yeah specific Mm -hmm. publications a lot more yeah and getting into actual magazines I remember like working in a marketing department in the early 2000s in New York and having my boss like hovering behind me because we had to photoshop (laughs) someone who'd been fired out of a um (laughs) out of a photo and if we didn't get the photo to the media person by this time we weren't going to get our article placed and so he was just like hovering behind me just like (laughs) stalking like wait I'm like I'm going as fast as I can and I'm like trying to photoshop this person out (laughs) but it was all it was all about that yeah I'm I don't know if you have any memories like that but I certainly do (laughs) oh my gosh yeah well you know what that brought up for me was I think the emphasis on print media yeah right you know I it's funny to me that like people still ask for that because I mean obviously having a piece of content or an article online is in my opinion so much better because it's it's shareable Mm -hmm. and it can go viral right right yeah. But there was a lot more. It was like, no, I want to be in the print edition. Yeah. So I want to be in yeah. the print edition. Yeah. So. Like it's like, because it's like a tangible thing. Like it's in some way has more gravity, but actually having a backlink from Forbes is way more valuable than just your <laughs> picture in print. Well, I mean, you could frame it and put it on the wall and it looks cool. So, <laughs> right. Right. so there we go. Right. Okay. But sign of the times, right? I mean, backlinks yeah. like so not a thing so yeah, I love yeah, to ask I love to ask um millennials my age uh, I call us OG millennials what <laughs> did you do during the recession the great oh, financial in 2008 yeah the GFC the GFC you know what <laughs> I was very blessed to have a job <laughs> did it like mm-hmm. how did it change or like what did you see happen to PR during that time and then how did it change as the economy started back up again it was obviously tougher to get a job. Yeah. Um, you know, I can speak to that. I finished my internship in, let's see, it probably was December, October, sometime in Q4 of December 2007, because it was a year long, huh. maybe a year and a half or so. Um, and I just remember during that time, I was like, well, okay, I'm not getting hired here. There were seven interns. They just took one of us. I was not one of them. Maybe the ragtag check out a little bit. <laughs> but um, I remember having to apply for different jobs during that time. And again, it was through somebody that I knew, but it took a little longer. Um, I don't know how I can, to be honest, like when it comes to like industry speak around how that was changing the PR industry during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have many memories of that, but my guess would be, you know, I can watch, I can tell you the way PR has changed during the last year. And yeah. this and what we've been going through as a, yeah. as a I was going to say as a nation, but no, as the world. Um, and I imagine it was just dissimilar, but like with its own things at that time. Mm. Yeah. I just remember mass callings, like in, in agencies and things, like you'd be in an agency and then one day, you know, the CEO would like step in or the VP or whoever, and they'd say, you know, today's going to be a hard day. And then all of a sudden the next day, like 30 people would be gone. 
And you're like, oh. And like, luckily, I mean, I didn't have a very big salary at that time. So my head wasn't on the chopping block. It's like, you know, we were all young. So it was like a a weird time. But it was definitely interesting. You know, you're triggering a memory for me right now, actually. Um, So right after I finished that internship, I did start at a smaller PR firm. Yeah, smart. And I was only only there for like a brief six months. Actually, I don't even think I have it on my LinkedIn because it was so brief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the reason it was so brief is because we lost our flagship client. Yeah. Like our mm-hmm. flagship client, which powered the entire agency, and given the time frame. Yeah. You know, I, I was I was that time an account coordinator. I was not privy to the financials or anything that was going on as to why. But I can tell you, we lost that huge flagship client, and so it would make sense given the time frame that it correlated with that. Yeah. 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 I think it's interesting. I've read a lot of articles on this, like the psychology of what it's done to um, like older millennials to live through the great financial crisis and the, their very first years and it's like there are different theories like some some of us were stunted because we couldn't find jobs and then the other ones you know those of us who are lucky enough to have jobs we were like this insane work ethic was instilled because it's like you have to always go above and beyond to to like avoid the chopping block kind of thing because that's your first few years in in your career it's crazy. Wow, that that really resonates actually. Yeah. Really yeah. Resonates. Everybody's like, "Why do you work so hard?" And I'm like, "Oh, you know, why wouldn't you?" You know, cuz mm-hmm. you learn those first couple of years how to work. Yeah. And now uh, the pandemic's hit and all of a sudden it's more uncertainty. Yeah. Like, more uncertainty. Two, two once in a generation things happen within 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, all those skills are like coming mm. to to play, right? Yeah. Cuz anyway. Um that's yeah. <laughs> Did you say that's actually no? I'm thinking about that now because that's yeah. actually a really amazing. Like even if it's a subconscious correlation to like right. work ethic and how we are. I mean, it's you know at this point I'm 36 years old and I've had my own business for about eight. And you know you wonder sometimes like where does this grit come from? Where does this determination come from? Is it really because I have passion or this? Or yes, is there some subconscious conditioning that took place along the way that right. Mm pushed me forward and forced me to do so, you know, because it hasn't always been easy, but mm-hmm. right. for thought. Yeah. Did exactly. you, um, did you always want to have your own business at this point when you were kind of working in PR, you, you worked at Access Communications for just under six years, like during that time when you're really cutting your teeth and, and working your way up, did you think this is the kind of thing I want to own one day? Or was that Never. as a bit of a surprise? Huh? Okay. Never. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell us about yeah, how it <laughs> I know. Um, That was definitely not in my plan. I was always very much conditioned to like, this is the path to success. Mm, I think especially, yes, I, like I said, I was a lot of firsts in my family. So after going to college, I'm also the first one to be a full-time entrepreneur. Yeah. And that was not something that had ever been on my radar because it was never in my blueprint. It was never something that I had an example of. And it was never something that, you know, I would see a family member and be like, I want to be like that. It was this is what you do to be successful. So at that point in my life, you know, especially when I was with Access and then I went on to the Horn Group, it was what's going to get me to that next level? What's going to get me to that VP level? What's going to get me to that SVP level? Mm-hmm. Okay, then what? You know, and I just had a moment. It was probably like 20, end of 2013, beginning of 2014, where I remember I was up for a promotion to vice president and my boss said to me, He's like, listen, he's like, we can promote you, but you're just going to have to color within the lines. He's like, you got to play by the rules. I was always just, I would always find myself getting very frustrated with the red tape within agencies Mm. and wanting to do more, wanting to deploy different ideas, not just 
you know, I just, I kind of had a hard time with authority, I guess you could say. And just, I really wanted to do things differently. And but like, did you, like, we can, did you have a hard time with authority or were you just a strong opinionated woman in a corporate environment? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Did you? <laughs> like people tell me no. like mm-hmm. stuff like that and I'll be like, no, it's just like you, it's hard because when you're a strong, a strong woman in a corporate environment, like often we stick out, you know? Right. So wow, I really appreciate you saying that because that even catches me, right? Like, look how conditioned we are. Oh, still. girl. <laughs> yeah. So many realizations happening on the podcast today. I know. I know. <laughs> Welcome to Sylvia Nuts Therapy Hour. <laughs> oh, it's so I mean, funny. No, I, but it can be. It definitely was. I have a lot of, I mean, women tell us that. Women say, listen, I couldn't, I couldn't move up. I couldn't get a fair mm. shake. I couldn't, you know, I didn't have fair. Uh, feedback from my, I would, I would be called difficult to work with, or I would be called this or that, mm-hmm. because women communicate differently. You know, we notice different things, and we're expected to behave a certain way. And if we're not meek and mild and apologize, like sometimes, you know, we, it's like it's easier to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and people say that. You know, you just have to mm-hmm. either have the perfect culture and the perfect support system. Yeah. And perfect, you know, a boss really like backing you up or you have to go out on your own. Those really are your two choices. And again, maybe that was it. Maybe that was a huge piece of it. Yeah. Because I think like a lot of, you know, women, especially of our generation, not even of our generation, but like I think a lot of it was more unspoken then. Like I had my fair share of like inappropriate things said to me mm-hmm. or, you know, yeah, the areas where I didn't feel like I really got my full shake because, you know, what I was saying wasn't valid or it didn't matter mm-hmm. or it had to be done this way. And so, yeah, maybe it was a subconscious of like, I just got to get out of here because that's really what it was. It wasn't one moment in time. Yeah. Um, it was like this slow buildup of like, little wow, things. I'm supposed to be, yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to be happy right now. I am climbing the proverbial corporate ladder. Like yeah. I'm living in San Francisco. I have a great cush six-figure paying job. I'm yeah. you know, being flown to New York all the time. I've right. got this expense account. I've got this. I got this. But wow, I'm pretty miserable. But mm. to say, hey, you are up for VP, your qualifications and contribution have warranted it, but I need you to change who you are. That's basically what he said to you. I mean, if you reword what he really meant, right? I need you to color within the lines. That means don't rock the boat. Don't make anyone unhappy. You know, don't, you know, it's impossible. (laughs) It's really impossible. impossible. Yeah. It's impossible. Yeah. So you said what, like what, how how did you (laughs) open the door to opening your own business? Well, so I didn't promote and I just felt, I was like, you know, this is, this is not working for me for a few reasons. And at the time, I think it was that I was also really tired of living in San Francisco in a shoebox apartment. I was ready for something. Uh, I was also in a long distance relationship with someone in Southern California. So there was all these things happening in my life at the time where I thought I'm ready for a change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have no idea what it looks like. I have no idea what it feels like, but let's just try something new. And so I, left San Francisco. I moved to Santa Barbara. And off the bat, I thought, well, I'm just going to start 
consulting. I'm just going to see what's up here. Like there was a very small tech scene. It was small yet emerging. Mm -hmm. And that same boss actually said to me, he's like, you don't have what it takes yet. He's like, you don't have the chops. (laughs) I remember thinking like, like, or maybe maybe you're too scared to do it. So you're trying to (laughs) squash me. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I mean, who knows with him and, but the, I just remember thinking I was really disheartened and it made me pause. And I was Mm -hmm. like, well, maybe he's right, but I'm just going to try and see what happens. And so I did move down here and I was able to corner a market pretty quickly because I had, you know, almost a decade of experience in San Francisco and Silicon Valley. And there were a lot of small yet emerging tech companies here that were looking for PR support, but they were hiring out to LA and San Francisco. And then I was like, oh, here I am. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm living here. And so... It was really cool because off the bat, I did was able to corner a market pretty quickly. That's awesome. Um, Isn't yeah. it an emerging tech hub like in between like Orange County and like it's more more and more companies are getting kind of out of Silicon Valley. That's this is just totally. what I'm reading, <laughs> and they're totally. either going I to off. Remember, yeah. Is it Austin or Orange County that most of most of them are like kind of migrating toward, or what's your opinion there? Yeah, I think there's a lot. I mean, I think it was Austin a few years ago where people were really migrating. I now I'm now seeing a ton of like Montana. Really? Denver is becoming a hub. But yeah, huh. I mean, if uh, people are leaving San Francisco and Silicon Valley, people are leaving New York, and I think mm-hmm. you even saw this before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, not to accelerated it. Mm. Right. Yeah. And and so these hubs, I think, but even. You have to remember, this was in 2014, and so gotcha. this was really not considered much of a hub for anything here, and it's still pretty small. I wouldn't say it's like a huge tech hub. And now, to be honest, none of my clients are here, but it's just a great place to live. Um, <laughs> but it's, yeah, I, I was here for about six months. I had a few clients on my own. I was vastly undercharging because I had no idea what I was doing on the business <laughs> side. I learned everything trial by fire. Mm. And... Mm. About, yeah, the coolest thing that happened right off the bat, though, I will say, and it's funny, that relationship exploded like three months in, but everything else went great, so I just kept going. Uh-huh. And so <laughs> I I went to a barbecue here in town just to meet more people, more entrepreneurs kind of in the tech space because it was such a small community. Yeah. And I met this guy who told me about a, a tech incubator that he did in Southeast Asia. And the reason I share this is because it I, given you know my last you know, almost 10 years of working in corporate America, I had never taken more than a two week vacation. I Mm. had never been to Asia. I had never really had larger life experiences because of the grind of it all. Right. And so I was like, Oh, well tell me more about this. And he told me, he's like, Oh, it's a one month program in Bali for entrepreneurs. There's about 20 that are chosen. And yeah, I think the next round's whatever, like in two months or something like this. And I was like, what is this? Wow. And he's like, it's for small business owners or entrepreneurs, people that have recently exited, people who are building something. And I thought, well, I don't know what I'm building, but I'm going to build something. (laughs) And I went home that night after like four or five beers and I applied and I got in. (laughs) And about, yeah, three or four weeks later, I was on a flight to Indonesia and I was terrified. I was like, what are you doing with your life? Like, you just root uprooted your entire life in San Francisco with all these amenities, <laughs> this amazing six-figure job, you know, 
like squish 401k you moved your life down here mm. you're kind of an emotional train wreck at the time like you're kind of you're pissing your you've you're gone through a breakup yeah I mean all these things were happening and I was like I'm just gonna go get on this you know flight to Indonesia and my parents were like I mean talk about the path to linear success they're just like watching like what is going on yeah yeah and no I hear you I just, on that <laughs> I thought California and, parents yeah. would have been a little cooler. Like, my mine were, like, Midwestern <laughs> parents. My dad just kept saying, get into a corporation and just climb to the top. You just go, need to go mm -hmm. climb that corporate ladder. Like, having no idea whatsoever what it's like to be a woman and try to climb anything, <laughs> you mm, know, totally. and corporate-wise. Totally. Like, and he just kept saying it over and over again. But I always thought, like, oh, yeah. it's because they're conservative-ish Midwestern, you know, like, they they just want a safe life for me. But it's interesting to see that you grew up, you know, in San Francisco, and it was kind of like the same thing. Mm. You know, I think it depends on the person and their lens and what their values are around success, right? Yeah. It's what you know. Yeah. And I think if I had had parents that were entrepreneurs and they were in the tech space and they were this, you know, that might've been a little bit different of a value lens that they would have looked through, Yeah, you know, versus what they, what they were, which was not bad at all. I feel super blessed and I have wonderful parents, but I think it's the lens and through what you look through yeah, to yeah. what you deem to be successful. Right. So. Yeah. And they yeah. just want certainty for you. And yeah. this is like a, a new and exciting, but what kind of uncertain thing like you just don't know what's <laughs> going to come from it but so what was that like what was it like spending a month in Bali with all these people who are entrepreneurial and have this amazing attitude did you feel inspired by this experience tell us about it it was hands down one of the best gifts I've ever given myself oh so, so good yeah. so good um, talking about it now like even just the the fact of traveling to Indonesia I'm like wow it's like a different world like, <laughs> oh, gosh I miss Bali yeah. <laughs> but your first time ever like doing something like that it really does change your whole perspective on everything especially yeah. like the third world and kind of breaking it down and how did it stuff. work then so you're you over there I'm guessing like you had some really nice like evenings by the beach but like what were you doing during the day like what was this incubator structured like sure sure so it was, there were 20 of us from all over the world. I was one of four Americans chosen. I was the only one in PR and the only one from California. And everyone had their own venture. Some were in products, some were in finance, some were in, some were more creatives. Um, but really we had all the makings of like a team to build like one company there. You know, everyone had their role. Yeah. Um, and so throughout the day, you know, I think it was a mixture, not I think, I remember it being a mixture of us building our own ventures while we are there, having the support from others. And then at the same time, there were a lot of joint ventures that emerged from that, huh. from those brainstorming sessions of like, whether it was, yeah, at the beach one day, or whether it was you know, out on an adventure one day, or whether it was out at a barn one night or whatever it was. Huh. And throughout the day, we also had different, like people would put on workshops. You know, this is what I do. This is how I got there. This mm -hmm. is what I can help with type thing. Mm -hmm. And this was all, these were all remote entrepreneurs too i mean this was like the og days of like remote working yeah, yeah where it was also, like kind of a dream <laughs> like <laughs> like the four-hour work we came out and everybody's like oh great but yeah right <laughs> kind of thing i had people yeah i had people emailing me from home they're like yeah right you're there for like a business incubator. you're in bali for a month and i'm like no really like i have clients in the u.s right now and i you know i was still working on them like while i was yeah. there so no one's business really stopped. It was just a place where you could go and like basically nurture it further, evolve it, mm -hmm. get resources, get support. I mean, the people I met from all over the world are now not only lifelong 
friends, but like I've done business now with either them or they've connected to meet other people in their country. So yeah. because of that experience alone, and I ended up staying actually for in Southeast Asia a couple more months after that. So my whole time was three months. Awesome. Um, and then I went back the next year for two months because all of a sudden now I was doing international business. I was working yeah. with international startups. So good. I think wow. as well that like, you've made a really good point there of like going and spending time where you're nurturing the business because this is something that I read a couple of years ago and it really stuck with me in a, a book called The E-Myth. And that is the fact that when you have a business, you spend a lot of time working in your business, like doing the client work. And people don't spend enough time working on their business, like with the strategy, how they're going to grow and scale and everything like that. And it's it's really important to be able to take a step back. But when you're so busy with client work and working in your business you don't always give yourself that chance so it kind of sounds like mm-hmm. this was like I was like physically removing yourself from the situation of being in Santa Barbara and being in Asia to to do it but um that's that's a really cool way of of doing it is actually just like it's almost like doing your own off-site <laughs> <laughs> it's true though because you're removing all the distractions and the friction from mm. from your normal day-to-day yeah Mm-hmm. So, okay, so you've you spent three months in Asia. It was So your company at the time was it is dialed PR and that's still what you do now. Where did you get the idea for remote PR jobs? Because that's your other business. Yes, absolutely. So that was not until just a couple of years ago. So after I came back from that trip, I came back to Santa Barbara and then I really started building at that point. That's really when dialed PR was created. Mm-hmm. And I, for the next several years after that, continued to start building it out, working with clients even more, like building out a, a practice around it. Um, and during that time, I also started doing a lot more online courses through LinkedIn Learning. So I'm a PR author through there. Cool. But remotePRjobs.com came from when I was remote. So pretty much in the summer of 2018, I was really burnt out. It was probably the beginning of the summer, so maybe June, July. And I was like, man, I need... A break right now. I had been grinding. Like I hadn't really gone anywhere since those initial travels in like 2014, 15. So it had been a few years. You know, I was building the business. I was doing online coursework. I was just heads down. Mm. And as I mentioned, our family's Greek, and we have family in the island, on the island of Crete. Yes. And I decided to just go for the summer. I was like, I need a break right now. I was blessed to be in a situation, you know, financially where I could do that. And I was like, I'm gonna go give myself. A break right now because I need to I need to get my head in a better spot right now and right. figure out really what I want to do with this right and so yeah while I was there and having just a lovely Grecian summer <laughs> um, you know I was thinking about just a lot of different types of things and and one of the things that you know I re- really realized over my years of consulting is I was very lucky that a lot of my work came through word of mouth came through my network and I think that was very largely due to my experience in San Francisco and Silicon Valley and the networks that I was able to build there. Mm. But there were certainly times, you know, over the last eight years or so when I was like, Phew, you know, clients are a little low this month. Okay, I, you know, I, <laughs> I can mm. use a little more money right now. And then there are other months where it was maybe more overflowing. But you definitely have those moments. And in those moments, when you're needing clients, okay, what do you do? You go to LinkedIn, you go to Upwork, you ask your network. You know, there's a few different things that as PR professionals that we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But more often than not, I found that when I would go to LinkedIn or or Upwork or any of these sites, you know, half the jobs really weren't even PR jobs. They were marketing jobs. Yeah. And I'd go to like five or six different sites. I'd spend hours. They weren't quality. They weren't curated. And it was really frustrating. Yeah. And I thought, how is there not a niche job site for PR professionals. Like 
there is for literally every other type of job. Mm. Why isn't there one? Yeah. And then I would go to remote job sites and the same thing. They would have every single job except PR. And the only thing I could think of was maybe they just don't know the difference between PR and marketing. Maybe people just like that are hiring for PR, they don't host it on the sites. I don't know. Yeah. But I am curious. And so when I got back from Greece, I spoke to a few former colleagues and I kind of explained this problem that I was trying to solve. And I thought, you know, do you have a resource that you use? And everyone kind of had the same answer that I just said. So I said, huh, all right, I'm just going to try and do this. Maybe it's just really too hard and no one wants to do it. Or maybe I'm, maybe there's just a few of us with this problem, but let's just test for viability and see. Mm -hmm. So I spent the first week and I sourced, I think just like 10 remote public relations jobs. That was my criteria. Mm -hmm. Remote, had to be remote and had to be specifically PR, not marketing, not social, traditional PR. Right. Found 10, put them in an email, sent it to about 20 colleagues and said, hey, is this helpful? Of course, they all come back and say, yes. They're like, thank you for sending me leads. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. Well, I'm going to do it next week. I'm going to find 10 brand new ones and see if I can do it again. And this was taking me a few hours. And I was like, oh, yeah, it is challenging to find. Yeah. But okay, did it again. Um, After about a month, I had people starting to ask me, hey, how do we get on your, your email? Oh, hey, can you add so-and-so to your email? Hey, so-and-so wants to be on your email. And I was like, oh, okay, all right, there's interest here. So then I threw the whole thing into MailChimp, and so people could opt in. Oh, nice. And I, I kid you not, for the first six months, this list grew organically by 100% every single month. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, okay, we're testing for viability here. I think, mm. I think we have some traction. Yeah. And yes, um, soon after that, um, I actually then brought on a business partner who does not have a PR background, but his background is in building SaaS businesses. And we turned it into a subscription site. It's a nominal fee. And we started running with that and kind of helped started building out like a sourcing team. So I have very specific criteria to what goes on the list. And honestly, then we hit early 2020 and I could have never predicted this, but you know, all of a sudden, you know, as you guys may know, PR is one of the first line items to go. And so some of the biggest layoffs were in PR mm. and marketing at the beginning of the year. And so all of a sudden, we started seeing an influx in people signing up for the list because mm. PR professionals needed work. Yeah. And they needed remote work. And so we doubled down and now we put out more than 40 opportunities every single week and we expanded into more communications as well. So, we do not just traditional PR jobs, but social media, content, copywriting, internal comms, anything that falls within that communications umbrella. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. So in a way, the pandemic kind of helped to accelerate this then. It did. And at first, I actually had a lot of guilt around that. And I felt really like, oh, my gosh, I'm benefiting off of this. And then I thought, wow, we're actually helping so many people find work right now mm-hmm. and support their own families and their self. And that just felt really good to know that we were helping so many people during this crazy time yeah but that's also when like so like in the last recession that's when like uber and airbnb started and all these like massive companies like times of severe hardship actually caused like a lot of like shift in the market and entrepreneurial change so you were just you had there was a problem and you were the solution like it's great it's so helpful you were ahead of your time Mm. (laughs) i was ahead of the time i yeah would have thought so yeah it's exciting so we have a lot of kind of small business owners and startups that listen to this podcast and um 
I would just love to know, like, from your perspective of all your experience and, and, and working with lots of different clients, especially in tech, um, but just kind of across the board, what are the kind of common mistakes that small business owners do make when, when they have a PR strategy or their outreach to press? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes is not actually understanding the power of what it can do and what it does mm. do. I think there's a lot of people that say, think, well, I need a press release. I just need a press release. That's going to solve all yeah. the issues. Right, but what right, they right. don't recognize with that is, sure, maybe you, maybe you need a press release, but with that, we have to develop some messaging for that press release. Mm-hmm. And after that, we need to create a media pitch. And after that, we need to actually pitch your news to the press. And in order to do that, you know, we have to know who your audience is. And so we can find the right reporters to pitch to. And so everything that kind of goes around it to actually make that media hit happen. Right. right? So I think there's a lot, although there's a lack of education, that lack of education sounds odd, but like there's the lack of knowledge around how it actually comes works together holistically and comes yeah. together. I, yeah. You know, I find a lot of my job is just educating on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what would you, we have like a ton of, of people who either work remotely or want to work remotely. What is your best advice for someone who's had a corporate job for like a little bit? Because there are a lot of people also being made redundant or laid off right now, to be honest. So, you know, sometimes people rethink and they're like, okay, (laughs) I'm going to go work remotely. I want to go live in Indonesia or whatever it is. Um, So what is your best advice there for that big shift? If they want to like start their own business or they just want to work remotely with their job? No, become a free, yeah, become a freelance, like become a digital nomad, basically. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I just gave a masterclass on this too. It's like, what is the first thing you should do? Because oftentimes people think I need to get uh, my website up or I need to get my accounting software up or I need to get business cards or business cards. What is this, 1995? Um, (laughs) But like whatever your first thing is, my advice to anyone, regardless of your industry, is like you get a client. Yeah. Get a client because, <laughs> and that's gonna prove two things for you. One, it's gonna give you the internal confidence of like, okay, yeah, I can I can get a client mm-hmm. and I can do this, right? Which I think is half the the mental battle of, of this a lot of times. It's like, oh my gosh, how am I gonna get business? If you get that right off the bat, you're gonna have that internal confidence to be like, okay, I got this. Yeah. At least I, and I have this. And the second part of it is now you have money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to actually build that website, to buy yeah. that accounting software. Because if you don't have a client, you don't need accounting software because you have no one to put in it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like everybody's like, okay, I'm open for business. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, okay, well, do you know how to sell your services or yeah. price yourself or all that other stuff? So if you just get a client, you work through all that stuff right away and then you can go from there. Yeah. Good advice. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's arguably, like a, I think, the scariest one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it makes complete sense. Yeah. So you might be a, a little biased in me asking this question, but when do you think someone who has a small business should get a PR professional? Um, like at what stage, um, rather than just trying to do it on their own? I love this question. No, it's is it is the question versus doing it on your own or yeah. when you actually need it? Because I think there's a difference. Um, okay. Do you want to maybe explain like the difference as well? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think a lot of people come to PR for come for PR too early. Okay. You know, gotcha. I can speak. I specifically work with tech startups as that's kind of my bread and butter. But 
you know, the first question I always kind of backwards engineer it. The first question I'm going to get asked by a reporter is, what, how are they different from anyone else in their space? Why should I care right now? What are they doing? Mm-hmm. So unless you can answer those questions, it's going to be really hard for you to get a story because it's like, why, why should I care right now? You know, mm-hmm. how are you different? Mm-hmm. What do you do? You know, how are you different? So I think I just repeated myself, but yeah, <laughs> you have to have those news pieces, right? So I think that's, that's when you know you're ready for PR. And so it's some, I can't really quantify it down to, to years per se, because it really just depends on the life cycle of the business and yeah. at what points you hit, at what times you hit certain points, right? Yeah. So you kind of already need to like have something like you have to have your USP and maybe even like say you are a tech business like already have some users already have like people like mm. like a, even if it's just a small amount of people but showing social proof that you're you are different and people like it. Absolutely. And that's yeah. And I will say you you know the question you asked me at the beginning of how how is has PR evolved over the last eight years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eight years ago, it was a lot easier to get a story off of an idea. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah, I gotcha. Now, it's like, okay, great idea, bro. You know? <laughs> but where's the... And it's not even me <laughs> saying that. That's like the reporter say? saying that. Yeah. It's, it's like, like cool no, story, bro. <laughs> it's like, give me, who are your investors? Like, do you have customers? Right. Why mm-hmm. should I care right now? How are you different from your competition? It's just, it's a lot tougher. Yeah. 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 yeah I hear you. Well, this is really interesting. And I think there's a lot of food to thought for anyone who's either wanting to work remotely or small business owners that are thinking about PR and just feeling inspired by you and, and your story. It's been really, really awesome chatting with you, Andrea. So thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you. If someone wants to work with you, find you, find remote, remote PR jobs, where do they um, <laughs> do all that? Totally. You can just send them to andreaholland.com. And from my site, it links out to my PR firm. It links out to remote PR jobs, online courses, all that, all that jazz. Awesome. Oh, beautiful. Thank yeah. you so much, Andrea. It was Andrea. a pleasure. Yeah, yeah we'll chat so soon. Much. It we're, was a pleasure. we're connected on, I think, everything. So we'll chat yeah. soon. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you by invoice to go We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere at any location around the globe. We're helping close the gender-based pay gap. Because the current US pay gap sits at around 19%, listeners of the Female Founders Network podcast get exactly 19% off of any subscription. Just enter the code EMPOWERWOMEN at checkout.